it is uh, how do you say a Minecraft. This week on Dueling Review, we review Mycroft number one. Basketball legend, novelist, and super polymath Kareem Abdul-Jabbar brings his take on Sherlock Holmes's older brother to comics at last. An all-new adventure set in the world of the best-selling Mycroft Holmes novel. The Apocalypse Handbook sees a different, brilliant Mycroft pulled into the globe-spanning adventures on behest of Queen Victoria and a secret organization at the heart of the British government. A madman is on the loose with civilization-destroying weapons, each 200 years in advance of the status quo. Can the smartest man in England set aside his idle, womanizing ways for long enough to track down the foe that may be his match? Let's find out. You know, it's interesting. Um, Mycroft Holmes only appeared in Arthur Conan Doyle stories four times. Oh. Greek Interpreter, Final Mm -hmm. Problem, Empty House, and the Bruce Partington Plans. Right. Um, but the character has appeared well over a hundred times since then in radio, film, television, yeah, and other books by other people. Yeah. Uh, video games too. So he's, the dude's all over the place. <laughs> I cannot believe there are Sherlock Holmes, Minecraft Holmes video games. Uh, let's see. In video games, it says Minecraft has a minor role in the 1987 Infocom game Sherlock, The Riddle of the Crown Jewels. Oh, I see. He uh, plays the victim of an assassination attempt in the PC game The Lost Files of Sherlock Holmes, The Case of the Rose Tattoo, 2009 PC and Xbox game Sherlock Holmes and Jack the Ripper. Young Holmes receives assistance on a case from his brother. And then finally, Mycroft appears in the minor character in the 2014 uh, focus home interactive game Sherlock Holmes Crimes and Punishment. Oh. So there you go. See, I always thought that Mycroft was a fat guy. Well, you know, it depends. In um in the book and how he's described, he has the tidiest and most orderly brain with the greatest capacity for storing facts of any living man. And then it goes on uh to say that um Heavily built and massive, Mm -hmm. there was a suggestion of uncouth physical inertia in his figure, but above the unwieldy frame, there there was perched a head so masterful in its brow, so alert in its steel gray deep set eyes, so firm in its lips and so subtle in its play of expression that after the first glance, one forgot the gross body and remembered only the dominant mind. Which doesn't, it doesn't really say that he's obese. It doesn't say that he's... Fat, it just says heavily built and massive. Heavily which could Im- built and the gross body. It I'm could just... imply that he's tall, right? Right. And have a bit of a gut. I mean, if you, uh, there is a, a depiction of Mycroft Holmes uh, from the Strand magazine, from the adventures of the Greek interpreter, that shows a picture of Mycroft that looks like a tall man that maybe has a pot belly mm-hmm. uh, and maybe heavy set. I mean, if I were to say, how much does this guy weigh? I would say he's like six three and probably two seventy. Two seventy. Yeah. And okay. for Victorian England, that might be considered a fat man. Well, I I don't know. I'm not from Victorian England. Some interesting things to put into perspective about this book. This uh, story takes place in 1874. Right. In 1874, uh, this is what was going on. The Philadelphia Zoo opened up. Chicago burned. That was the year of the Great Chicago Fire. 
The Texas Indian Wars uh, took place. The elephant became the symbol of the Republican Party. Uh, the <laughs> San Diego Natural History Museum was founded. And interestingly, in 1874, heroin is synthesized for the first time. And that's interesting because Sherlock Holmes becomes, um, he's not heroin addict, but depending on who's writing the story, it could be heroin, could be opium. Opium. But uh, I find that interesting because uh, the first Sherlock Holmes story mm-hmm. released by Arthur Conan Doyle wasn't released until 1887. Uh, two years later, the Paris World's Fair opened up in 1889. Mm. 1893, that was the Chicago World's Fair. Uh, Clarence Darrow in 1894 had his big famous case um, um, with, uh, what is his name, Pittergrast? I forget what the guy's name was, the assassin. (laughs) I don't know. And uh, just 50 years before this story takes place, Mm -hmm. uh, Beethoven wrote his Ninth Symphony. So that kind of just puts all this in perspective (laughs) of what's going on. I mean, this story takes place, yes, at the height of Victorian England. Uh, Queen mm-hmm. Victoria herself, at the time this story takes place, is 55 years old, which, you know, when you get to the last page of this issue, she's a pretty uh, young-looking woman at for 55. This is very true. Uh, so uh, why don't you set us up with the story this this week, Matthew? <laughs> well, and that's the thing that's really complicated is it's, it, I, I'm not entirely sure I can. What are you talking about? So this there's is- some kids in a museum. Right. And uh, some guy drops off a piece of technology that vibrates the entire museum to the ground, killing everyone inside. Which kind of explodes their their, uh, history professor. Right. Well, and everything. I mean, everybody dies in a museum. Right. Uh, But the the history professor explicitly blows up on screen. Right. Before that happens. Then we get to go see Mycroft Holmes in his uh, philosophy class at Cambridge University, in which uh, Mm -hmm. the professor presents them with... This uh, question of if a house was burning, do you save the original Mona Lisa or do you save uh, the living creature, uh, living creature dog, which is worthless, stinky mutt? And uh, Mycroft was like, well, I wouldn't save either one of them. Why should I die? The dog is probably smarter than I in a case of a fire and would be able to get out. And, uh, you know, there's going to be more Da Vinci's coming up. And, of course, that creates a row in the class. And everyone's upset. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's Victorian England and suggesting something like that. Well, um, he does, he does kind of call into question one of his friend's mothers. Well, yes, maybe, you, but he's no only mothers. saying, but he's saying that in an example, he's saying, Hey, you know, let's switch this, this conversation, uh, around oh, it's, it's if more than this that. Were it's your, not if just this were your example, mother or if it were the prof- professor, which one would you save? Uh, so it kind of gets into the heart of what I think the professor is asking. Do you go after something that is beloved or something that has a bigger cultural impact in this? Um, but, uh, Holmes, uh, Mycroft, uh, is able to get out of a uh, suspension and goes home and sleeps with his professor's wife, who again, looks mighty, uh, fine for someone who <laughs> is married to an old guy or maybe well, all the men, which is the other interesting thing is everyone except Mycroft is depicted mm-hmm. as older and kind of scraggly looking, including Sherlock who shows up at the door, uh, who's been out in the rain. And we can tell that these two brothers don't get along instantly because they're calling each other names right yes. from the start. Mean names and being rude. And yeah, yeah. Mycroft keeps calling Sherlock's little peccadilloes. He does everything in threes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's kind of terrible. They're mean. Well, and that's, I don't think there's ever a case 
presented in which Sherlock and Mycroft have ever had um, a loving relationship with one another. <laughs> in all of the in all of the instances that I've seen the two, Mycroft comes off as Sherlock Holmes's smarter brother. Sherlock yeah. some uh, resents it in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and Mycroft kind of holds it over his head in all the stories and different incarnations that I have seen. So this kind of thing seemed rather straight up um, as far as some brotherly interactions. Uh, and I see that even with my own young kids uh, with the name calling and the picking on each other, etc. cetera. Uh, but before uh, Mycroft's uh, plans of letting his little brother see the naked lady – uh-huh. Uh, a gang busts in, uh, kidnaps Mycroft, and uh, threaten him until he says, oh, no, wait, this is just a, a clever ruse put together by my uh, my friend and colleague at the university. What's going on? <laughs> and uh, they want him to save England. See, that wasn't so hard to describe. That's a pretty straightforward story. Yeah, okay. And then there's the part where Mycroft figures out that he has to stop the dogs that are attacking him in German because he detected a slight accent in the man who was clearly the trainer. And so what's, what's wrong with that? I mean, that is, I mean, I mean, this is literally Sherlock Holmes deduction in, in this story. This is the exact same thing Holmes would have done. Uh, I forget what it, what book it is. Uh, uh, maybe it is the, um, death in Scarlet, I believe, uh, Sherlock Holmes is examining some footprints and he goes, Oh, by the size of, and the impression of this, this man has a size X shoe. He has a slight limp, uh, because the impression on the left foot is deeper than the impression on the right foot. And he's a smoker and he has a slight, yeah, no, this is, this is what Sherlock Holmes does. This is right up what, what a, a Holmes would do as, uh, as an investigator, the queen arrives at the end. Mm hmm. And she apparently has a mission to let young Mycroft sacrifice his own life to save the world and, more importantly, the British Empire. Yeah. I mean, that's straight up. I mean, this is a straight up Sherlock <laughs> Holmes story. Uh, yeah. The interesting thing is because Mycroft Holmes, it's not really spelled out exactly what he does uh, later on in the Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes stories. Um, but Although they do implied, say that in some ways he is the British government. Yeah, the... It is implied that he works for a high sector in the government. And as you said, he sometimes is the government in that. Um, and I, I don't know. I think today they would say he is someone who has a photographic memory and has obviously got a high intelligence because everything that comes into him, he memorizes and pigeonholes in his brain so that he can pull up at a moment's notice whenever it's needed. So for him to be if this is one of his, you know, his big first adventure in saving England uh, mm-hmm. It would make sense that the queen uh, puts him to this task to uh, save the empire from this uh, crazy man that we met on page one and uh, then becomes part of the British government uh, to mm-hmm. where he doesn't really have to do much work in the future except be lazy and uh, indolent uh, indolent as, as Holmes might say. So hangs out in his club and doesn't talk mm-hmm, to anybody. The Diogenes club. Cause he doesn't like people cause people suck. Yeah. They make fun of him. Boo hoo. Well, because he's fat. It doesn't say he's fat. He's just heavily built and massive. See, he's heavily built and massive. He could be a. He could be a. a I know. I know a lot of people that are heavily built and massive. Look at uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. See. Okay. There's a person. Look at Hulk Hogan. <laughs> There's another person who's Mister T. Heavily built and massive. Mm. Um. So what did you didn't you didn't care for this story? 
Are you not a I, you're not a fan of it, Sherlock Holmes? This one just didn't grab I say me. Sherlock Holmes. I mean, that's the one thing that I would complain about this is that um, Mycroft Holmes solves the problems the same way Sherlock would solve the problems. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious what the bigger story is because this could easily have been a Sherlock Holmes story. Right. Except that Sherlock is a little bit more cold and distant, whereas Mycroft is a a cad. A, a rogue, a, a blackguard, yeah. a schmuck. Yeah. Uh, to use the vernacular. I don't know. I just, it didn't engage me the way that I had hoped that it would. And I think part of that is that in a lot of ways, this is very much classical, you know, era, Victorian era um, plotting in a lot of ways. I could see this actually having been something contemporary to Doyle's work. And part of that is obviously to give you that feeling of authenticity, to make it feel of a piece with other stories that you might have read. But it also, you know, it kind of has a distancing effect for me. I, I think we're, what, four pages into the book, and then a man explodes. I'm like, oh, why, what, who? Oh, that was kind of interesting. And then, of course, we're sidetracked. Or, you know, we're taken somewhere else. I guess sidetracked isn't quite the word because it's the story they're telling. And we spend an inordinate amount of time dealing with that logic puzzle. And it just kind of felt to me like as a first chapter, it doesn't feel complete. It doesn't feel like this issue really does stand to me on its own as here is what you can expect from, I think this is six issues or is this an ongoing? No, it's not an ongoing. I feel like we've got we've got a, a good feel for the main character, and I do appreciate that, um, even though he's a jerk. And I'm kind of getting uh, maybe I'm I'm burning out on main characters who are jerks. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the fact that there's a ton of Sherlock Holmes to be had right now. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can see a Sherlock Holmes story. And how would that be? Well, you can watch uh, House, which is on in reruns all over the place. Oh, There's the reruns. BBC Sherlock series. Mm-hmm. There's a CBS uh, Sherlock Holmes series with Lucy Liu as Watson. But that's but that's that's why this isn't Sherlock. This is Mycroft. But it is. Yeah, and that would be a that would be one downside. That this is very much a Sherlock Holmes story, and Sherlock Holmes appears in the story, and Mycroft in this story acts like a slightly less uh, or maybe more uncouth Sherlock Holmes in that modern vernacular, that modern expectation of, well, clearly the locked room mystery wasn't a locked room mystery at all, because if you look here, these shadows are painted on. Dun, dun, dun. You know, but again, I think part of that is an expectation for me as a reader that may not be appropriate for the story being told. I mean, have we, have we reviewed a Sherlock Holmes? Oh, comic yeah. I, uh, I've reviewed, I don't know if you have stepped in, but I have reviewed uh, review. uh, Leah Moore's stuff mm-hmm. uh, before, which is really good. Uh, and that's Sherlock Holmes straight up. Uh, and right. it, you know, kind of feels, uh, the thing is anytime you're dealing with a detective story, it doesn't right. matter where it's set. Uh, you're going to have, and this is, this is um, a little bit more pulpy than what you might have from Victorian era. And it doesn't quite feel penny dreadful enough because it's not, you don't have monsters involved, Mm -hmm. but you always start off with some kind of 
ominous, scary threat. And we get that. Existential threat. And then we get uh, an introduction to how flippant and smart our leading character is, Um, whether that be Ham and Monk having, uh, uh, you know, a, a fight with one another over something that's going on. Or Doc Savage, you know, talking with someone else or even the shadow uh, Lamont uh, hanging out at the uh, at the uh, Blue Earth Sapphire Club and, uh, and and having a go with with some of his friends. I mean, that's pretty typical setup there. Uh, in this case, uh, there is a romantic interlude to show that, you know, really, in this case, Mycroft doesn't have any scruples. And I really think that they're I don't know because I haven't read. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's uh, Mycroft Holmes book. So I don't know if this is an adaptation of this or if this is a continuation or if this is just set in the same right. Stories universe. Stories in the same continuity. But I think that in order to satisfy readers, I think that there has to be a Sherlock Holmes cameo appearance. And so we yeah. do get that part. Uh, and then uh, that leads right up into um, the end of your first act where Mycroft is put into trouble and instantly figures out where the problem is. And so that's this is pretty typical of what you're going to see in a lot of pulp stories, a lot of detective tales. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is following that by the number, which makes this really nice because they're not trying to say, hey, we're going to totally change your mind and totally rewrite a detective genre because that's you're not, not what this the wheel. That's here. not what this is. This is let's tell a really cool detective story set in the, you know, in 1870s uh, before Sherlock has a chance to take things even further. And again, in this time period that we were talking about earlier, there's a lot of stuff that hasn't happened yet. I mean, by the time we hit 1893, just 20 years later, the Eiffel Tower has been built. Uh, just 10 years after the events of this book, the Eiffel Tower has been erected. Uh, electricity is running through uh, lights, uh, very regular. Uh, we have uh, things like Cracker Jack and the first electric kitchen are introduced uh, you know, like 20 <laughs> years later. So if we're hitting a Sherlock Holmes uh, era there's a lot more technology that is involved once we hit the end of um, the Victorian era. So to put this in this middle part where things are still dirty and smoky and dangerous, I think that kind of I think that kind of fits. And that wouldn't have fit if this were a Sherlock Holmes story because it would have to have been his older brother. Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint, I really got a kick out of the story, and I really liked it. I really like the pacing. I like the uh, the setup. I like the deductive reasoning that that the that writers Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and um, um, Raymond Olmsfeld, I think, is the other one mm-hmm. uh, writing on this. Um, it's just it's well set up, well ex- executed. Uh, the art, I thought the art was really solid, but I have some problems with it. Yeah, I kind of do too. There's, what what do what you like and what do you don't like? Well, I don't really care for much of the art. I feel like the the storytelling is okay, but there's just I don't know how to describe it. There's a, there's an indistinctness, a scratchiness going on through all of the facial expressions, and there's some parts of it where it's very unclear what's going on. And while that is by design, I feel like. Probably the biggest weakness to me is the faces. It is hard to look at anyone's faces and see an expression that means anything to me. It kind of reminds me of Lionel Yu's work when he was doing uh, New Avengers for Marvel a few years ago. I didn't really care for that either. 
And, you know, you've talked about uh, the, what is it, the smashed blacks that we get from yeah, uh, crushed, crushed Blacks. The crushed blacks, that's, yes. That's not, that's not really. This is almost the opposite of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of times where the blacks seem. Uh, the blacks are actually just feel like mm-hmm. kind of sh- crosshatchy grays, which mm-hmm. I don't care for it. Well, you know, I I don't have as many problems with the art as you do. I thought the art was was fine. I think the expressions are fine. You can really see some expressions in there. There's a lot of detail, including a lot of details in the environment, which I appreciate, especially uh, that's one of my complaints is uh, too often artists will just fill up a page with a with a solid color and that's it. This one, the artist does spend time trying to show you the environment and the surroundings and what's going on. My problem with the art is that all of the women look young and pretty including Queen Victoria. And if you go and look at Queen Victoria at her, um, um, what within the, uh, her diamond Jubilee, diamond Jubilee, not a young, uh, slim, attractive woman that we see in the, in the books. Um, a little, a little bit uh, bigger in this case, a little bit older, a little bit more wrinkly. And the same way with the professor's wife, it's like, Oh, first I was like, Oh, okay. So he's, uh, hooked up with his girlfriend, uh, which would be a big no, no in Victorian England. And then you find out that it's the guy's wife, which is even a bigger no, no in Victorian courtship and, and things that are going on. So he's like breaking all the rules, but then you're, you get a look at her face and there are a few times where I think they're trying to show that she's a little bit older because they try to show some, some, uh, crow's feet in her, in her eyes, mm. but you're looking at her and it's like, if the professor is in his late forties, early fifties, the wife does not look like that. She looks like someone who is drawn at age 19 or 20. Well, though it, it would not have been uncommon to have a younger wife. It would have been a bit more scandalous to have a younger wife. And I just thought that the, that the, the women in this book, while they're pretty, um, are not, not age appropriate I, I, age. No, what's the word I'm looking for? They're not uh, aligned with what their ages should be. They do not look like they are the characters that they are meant to be. Yeah. And so other than that, I thought it was, I mean, I think that, I think everything else works just fine. Everybody in this book is tall and lanky. Everybody in this book has the same oval face. They have the same nose. And from England. There are a lot of moments where someone is supposed to be shouting or looking surprised or looking frightened. And it's basically just open mouth, dull surprise for me. I don't feel like... I don't know. I don't feel like it quite comes together. There is a moment that I really like. There's a couple of them where Sherlock is sitting and watching Mycroft fight off his attackers. And he's like, bored now. That's good. But then we come to the end of the interaction with uh, with the professor's wife. And we zoom in for a tight shot on Sherlock's eyes. And it just, it doesn't look symmetrical. It doesn't look right. It looks really off. And there are several moments in here where what should be a big dramatic moment. And I don't know if it's a question of the way the production is, is done or the way that the art is being reproduced. It just, it doesn't feel right. And I don't, I don't know. Well, and again, that's for you, for me, I really dig it. I really like it. Um, you know, this is fortunately not the type of stuff you're seeing in capes and tights stuff from DC and Marvel, which is for me and always a big plus. Um, I think it's got its own, its own look. Um, and, and I liked it. I, I really give this a, a thumbs up. I enjoyed it from top to bottom. And if you enjoy the detective genre, then I think that this will be, um, right up your alley. And for dynamite, uh, that is putting this out, uh, or I'm sorry, Titan comics, that's putting this out. 
uh, this is a this is a big to do for them. So I um, I really like this a lot, and I I recommend it. I don't, um, not necessarily because of major flaws, but sort of an accumulation of smaller issues. It just doesn't quite come together for me. I I like the the historical things that we're seeing from Dynamite, from Boom, from uh, from Titan. We're seeing these characters who are either public domain or characters from classical literature, and we're seeing them come back in ways that are interesting. I just don't feel like this book quite hits the mark that it's mm-hmm. going for. So you know, artistically, it's a little wobbly. Story wise, it's peculiar. It's not bad. It's just peculiar and it does not feel to me like a complete first chapter it feels like they're really trying they're trying to give us a lot of things but it doesn't quite land for me so you know take that as you will yeah all right uh let's see what do we got coming up next week Ooh, oh, next week is going to be interesting because we have um it's a it's a small week for dark horse They've Mm -hmm. got uh, Harrow County number 15, uh, Hellboy and the BPRD 1953 trade paperback, which is actually a pretty good story. that's pronounced Biprid. House of Penance number five and Prometheus Life and Death number three comes out. Over at DC Comics, we get All-Star Batman number one. That's the uh, Scott Snyder uh, book that he's uh, now working on. Don't Mm -hmm. confuse it with the Jim Lee. um, God, though. Frank, was it Frank Miller? Yeah, Frank Miller. Yeah, Frank Miller, um, Jim Lee. All-Star Batman. That's uh, All-Star Batman and Robin. Right, right. Or Asbar for mm-hmm. short. Uh, we also have uh, Batman Superman gets a trade paperback, a volume four on that. DC co- uh, Comics Cover Girls Raven Statue. That's 100 bucks if you're wanting one of those. Uh, Deathstroke Rebirth, number one. The Rebirth issues continue. Detective Comics uh, 938. Flash, number four. Can't wait to see what's happening there. Flintstones, number two. I never did check out Flintstones one, although Ashley did say that it was uh, really, really good. She enjoyed that a lot. Uh, Then you have the new Superman, number two, and Superwoman, number one, and Wonder Woman, number four. So there you go. There's some books that are coming out next week from DC Comics. Over there at IDW Publishing, also, it looks like a small week for them. They have Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, number four. A little bit about that. If, If you haven't read this, this is an adaptation of the book. Uh, so it's not like it's not like it's an in- interpretation of the book. It is literally let's take the book and turn it into a comic book, uh, kind of like the way uh, Boom Studios did with um, do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep mm-hmm. a few years ago. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, is if you don't want to buy the single issues, the collected edition is already available. Uh, so that's the other weird thing about this. That uh, is strange. Yeah, so I don't know how that happened. I think it was the the creator um, had serialized this somewhere else, and then there was the collected hardcover, and then uh, IDW is doing this in single issues. Oh, I know. Um, I believe the collected edition also is colored. The single issues are all in black and white. So there you go. Also, Tales from the Dark Side number one gets a second printing. If you miss that, that is uh, Gabriel Rodriguez and uh, uh, Tom... Uh, Tom Hill? Is that who it is? No. Um, Joe Hill. Joe Hill. I knew that wasn't right. Uh, mm-hmm. Over at Image Comics, they have Birthright number 18, Black Monday Murders number one. Oh, hey, let's play uh, a game here, Matthew. There are one, okay. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. Yeah, 12 books coming out, not including uh, multiple covers. 12 right. books coming out next week for Image Comics. How many of them uh, do not have a mature reader's tag on them? Four. 
four. Is that your final answer? That is my final answer. Final four. answer for next week from Image Comics. There is only one book that is coming out next week that does not have a mature reader's tag, and that is Birthright number 18. All the rest will have the MR tag next to them, including Spread number 15 and Symmetry number 6. Ooh. Marvel Comics has Accused number 1, A-Force number 8, all new, all different Avengers annual number 1, in case you're looking forward to something different from Marvel. Oh, I'm sorry, all new, all different from Marvel. Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man number 16 comes out, Black Panther number 5, Daredevil number 10, Darth Vader number 24, um, I don't know. Yeah, no Han Solo coming out, but maybe some of you may have seen the news that um, apparently this is the deal that was struck when Lucasfilm got bought out by Disney. Mm-hmm. Any art that is produced for Star Wars, uh, the first pass has to go to George Lucas, who has the option of buying that stuff. Really? If George Lucas does not want to buy it. Then it can be released, and if they want to sell it to the public, they can sell it to the public, but they have to sell it at the same price that they offered it to George Lucas. So, for example, uh, uh, Han Solo issues one and two, right. George Lucas wanted to buy all of the art in its entirety, including the covers. And uh, the artist was – and people were like, well, did you jack up the price because it's George Lucas? He's like, no, here's the clause. If uh, I jack up the price on George Lucas and he passes on it, I have to keep that price when it goes out into the market. So I can't screw myself on this. <laughs> but uh, George Lucas bought all of the art, all the original art for Han Solo number one and two. That's pretty wow. cool. That's pretty cool. That is neat. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number 11 arrives, as does Invincible Iron Man number 11. Oh, that's a second printing on that one. Yeah, 11 is the, uh, is it the first appearance of Riri or yes. the first appearance of her in costume? Uh, no, first appearance of her is in okay. 11. Uh, okay. Spider-Man, Deadpool 1 through 8 all come out next week. Uh, 1 through 6 are all reprints. Number 8 is the new one. And then there is Vision number 10. Uh, over in the all the rest category, Valiant Entertainment has Archer and Armstrong. We've uh, that's number six. Adventure Time number fifty-five. Army of Darkness, Furious Road number six. That's the final issue there. Cave Woman, frickin' what does that say? Frickin' Yetis number one. <laughs> we also have Doctor Who, the tenth Doctor, Year Two number thirteen, and Doctor Who, the ninth Doctor number four. Uh, we also have uh, Grimm's Fairy Tales Wonderland number 60 is coming out. Or no, I'm sorry, 50 is coming out. That's a mature reader's book right there. Wow. King's Quest in number four. That's uh, the penultimate issue there. Mm-hmm. That's the Phantom Mandrake uh-huh. Flash yeah. Gordon thing. Yep. Yeah, that is, the, that is Dynamite Entertainment and uh, King Syndicate uh, coming together to tell the tales of the... Um, of those the main King characters. Features, yeah. 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 The King features characters. Where's your Popeye is Popeye. In no, it? Popeye is not in, in that. Um, for some reason, even going back to, um, defend what, not defenders of the earth. Yeah. Defenders of the earth. Defenders of the earth yeah. It was always Mandrake phantom, yeah. uh, flash Gordon. And, um, the fourth Lothar. one is, uh, Lothar, but no, there's another one too. Prince Valiant is the other one. Uh, Prince Valiant was never in Defenders that I knew of. I don't know about Defenders, but it seems like those are the four that are always paired together. Those are the King Features character. Yeah, and the King Features stuff. So um, it's been popular. I mean, this is like the third or fourth. I know my Defenders of the Earth, man. I I watched that. The first series from um, Dynamite was called, I think it was Earth's Defenders or Defenders of the Earth or something like that. Um, but this is like the third or fourth series of the King's Quest stuff. And it's kind of cool yes. because there are cool. major implications. Like at the end of the first one, like 
Ming like did something really disastrous to the earth and mm-hmm. one of the main characters died. Maybe it was the phantom. And so then you jump forward into the next series and people are still recovering from the total loss of technology and the new phantom is chosen. So it's, it's really new cool. New phantom. Yeah. Uh, Ninjak number 18 comes out next week. Puppet Master number 18 comes out. Uh, Sherlock, A Study in Pink number three. That is the uh, manga adaptation of the BBC series. <laughs> I'm just picturing Ace Attorney with Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, no, it's uh, we've got some previews over at the Major Spoilers website. And I also believe that that one is by that one might also be by Titan Comics. I think I'm it pretty is. Sure it is. I think they've secured most of that Sherlock stuff. Uh, Sonic Universe 88 from Archie Comics. What is That's this one saying? of my favorite bands of the 90s, Sonic Universe. Kim Gordon was amazing. Uh-huh. Three O'Clock Club, number one. Vampirilla, volume three, number six. That's the final issue there. And War Stories, number 19. Next week on Dueling Review. All-Star Batman, number one. My Own Worst Enemy, part one. Superstar writer Scott Snyder explodes into an all-new Batman series alongside legendary artist John Romita Jr. Ooh, Romita. Reimagining some of the Dark Knight's greatest villains. First up, Two-Face. Batman must take Two-Face to a destination out of Gotham City, but the duplicitous villain has a two of spades up his sleeve. See, because an ace would be a one. See, every assassin, bounty hunter, and ordinary citizen with something to hide is on their tails with one goal. Kill the Batman. Handcuffed together on the road to hell, this is Batman and Two-Face as you've never seen them before. You can show your support for this show and everything we do at Major Spoilers by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Your contribution allows us to keep this show going, pay for our growing costs, and gives us the motivation to produce more content for you. Again, point your browser at patreon.com slash major spoilers and sign up today. Thank you so much for checking out Dueling Reviews. We will talk with you next time when you will hear Matthew say, You fool! 